This is SIFTA. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by SIFTA. Mainstream is SIFTA's review podcast where we, the team at SIFTA.com.au, discuss our experiences playing a variety of games. Well, it is the end of the year, which means it's time for our Game of the Year list. Joining me on the show is... Fiona. Hello. And Daniel. Hey there. Adam. Hey. Mitch. Hello. And Kyle. Hello. Good to be here. Now, before we get into our conversation, let's find out what's been making the news this week on Sifter's news podcast, Walkthrough. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. This is Mainstream. Fiona, what is your game of the year for 2022? Obviously, Frog Detective 3 Corruption at Cowboy County. So excited when this game was announced that it was coming out this year. Was not expecting it to come out this year, so it was such a great surprise. And of course, it has to be my favourite game. So can you tell us, for people who haven't played any of the Frog Detective games, what is Frog Detective? How does it play? So you play as the Frog Detective, the second best detective. Unfortunately, second to Lobster Cop, he's the first best detective. Uh, And you help uh, solve mysteries and crimes. It's the final one in the trilogy. But for this game, you're tasked with assisting Lobster Cop uh, with his investigation into missing hats in the Cowboy County. And I mean, what is a cowboy without their hat? So you have to go around, talk to all the people in the town, find out what their problems are. Sometimes it's like, I want a painting. So you have to go find an artist, but then they want something. So it's very much search and find, make sure everyone's happy. But there's a few little plot twists in this one and some scootering. You have a Razor scooter that you can jump to your heart's content. Unfortunately, can't do too many kickflips, though. Can you tell me, what does the game look like for people who haven't seen it before? Because the Frog Detective games have a really distinctive visual style. It's very colourful. Like, while the the graphic design itself is quite simple, the colours are really quite bright and they stand out, especially this one being in, like, a cowboy county. There's lots of the reds and the oranges, which is a nice contrast to the green. But it's just so nice and simple, and I really like that. And the humour and the story more than makes up for that, which is great. The humour is absolutely why it's one of my, well, it is my favourite game of this year. Uh, the humour is very much my kind of humour. Things would happen in the game and we would comment it and then the frog detective would say it literally a second later. He seems like the only sane one in this town just questioning everything. What is it about these games that uh, really kind of you know stand out to you? Why are they sort of unique in everything that's come out this year? Again, probably the humour, but also I grew up playing like Nancy Drew and those sort of detective solving games so it's such a nice game to have because it's Australian made so it's 
supporting all the Australian indies, but having that version of a detective game, but it's also full of animals. So that's that's fun as well. But I think mostly the humor and the music are like the two things that get me. Because of course the music is done by Dan Golding, who people will know from Untitled Goose Game and like all of his music that was up for an ARIA award last year. So lots of different things, but I think mostly the humor and the music is what gets me. Daniel, I know that you love Frog Detective as well. Why is this such a special series for you? It's it's definitely what Fiona was mentioning earlier with the humor. Like a lot of games, indie games specifically, I have not seen writing as relatable as this. Uh, where it's it, it knows what it is. It's silly, but the way that Grace has managed to just insert jokes and make things just so like breaking, you know, the fourth wall or a funny character interaction there's just so much in there and i think that's what really elevates it and just how cute everybody is as well like i just want to live in that world <laughs> probably be like second best as well so and it's great because grace the, the one of the developers of the game she doesn't take it too seriously like i'm sure she was when she was making it, but the humor is amazing like at the i won't give too much away but during the credits of the third frog detective game <laughs> she keeps putting up little comments saying this music's really long. Uh, we've done the credits. So here are the credits from Degrassi episodes, such and such. And then sure enough, there are the credits from one of the Degrassi episodes. So it's a game you don't have to take too seriously. It's just something fun and lighthearted. So that's Fiona's pick, Frog Detective 3, Corruption at Cowboy County. It's made by Grace Bruxner and Thomas Boker uh, and with some help from Olivia Haynes and, of course, the music by Dan Golding. Um, Fiona, I'm wondering, are there any honourable mentions? The two honourable mentions for this year, of course, Switch Sports, the sequel to the amazing Wii Sports. So excited when that game came out. I can finally play against my family once again in 10-pin bowling and lose spectacularly. Very excited that they've added golf now, so I'm looking forward to to challenging my dad in that game, which I, again, will probably lose. But also Kirby and the Forgotten Land came out this year. I hadn't played much of the Kirby game, so it was so cool to be able to jump into that, especially the first time it's a fully 3D game. Um, And it had such a beautiful story, art and music too. So both of those, highly recommend. They're my honourable mentions for this year. Just want to go home to Slippery Pond Where the air is fresh and life goes on Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash discord All right, Mitch, I have a feeling you have been digging into a big open world uh, set in a far off future or um, filled with robot dinosaurs. It's Horizon Forbidden West, am I right? Tell us about that game and why it is the thing that has captured you this year. Horizon Forbidden West is the latest iteration of the Horizon series, um, not to be confused with the racing game, but the Horizon Zero Dawn series on PlayStation. Uh, This new version uh, came out on both uh, the new PS5 and PlayStation 4, uh, so it was very accessible by a lot of people uh, still. Um, 
depending on how you think, like, some people think it should have been a PlayStation 5 exclusive. I'm not sure about that. Uh, I experienced the game on PlayStation 4 because at the time when it came out, I couldn't access a PlayStation 5, but I still had a very good time. So um, if you're not familiar, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is the post-apocalyptic uh, game uh, by Guerrilla. It was massive on the PS4, really a uh, big exclusive and uh, one of the main reasons why a lot of people bought one of those consoles is to experience this game and the uh, new iteration uh, gives you a lot of the same things um, a lot of similar characters similar abilities but are just a bit more added on and a bit more uh, story for people wanting more out of that uh, world and felt like there wasn't enough of the first game which I think is a, a very good idea for a sequel I think it's not particularly different, but uh, it's comfortable. Definitely, when you play it, you feel like you're back in the world. And Aloy, your main character, is seeing a lot of her old friends, but discovering new threats and, and new friends. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about it being sort of a comfortable return. What I, what I found from the game was there's a lot of new additions, some new weapons, uh, a, a feeling of like the game expanding outwards in a really big way as well. What were the, some of the new things that, that came into Forbidden West that really stood out for you that you liked? Definitely some of the movement mechanics were some of my favorites. I really liked the glider. That really added to the acceleration and just moving around, moving around the world. Uh, the new machines, definitely something that I really liked. Um, the lack of the Watcher machine is definitely interesting. I thought, like, I kind of missed that little, like, base level machine. But uh, other than that, I think the way Aloy interacts with the people around her is my favorite part. Uh, she seems to be... Im impacting their lives more than them impacting her life, um, which is something that I thought she kind of moved through the game, kind of things were only affecting her in the first game, but now she seems to be affecting the personal lives of the people around her and the people that she loves. So um, I think that's very important in terms of character development and of a world that seems to be reacting to you. Not that the first game didn't have that, but it's more on a personal level now. Like the, there's a very, there's a very touching scene where she kind of facilitates a romantic gesture for one of her friends from the previous game. And I thought that was very cool. And I really liked that. And She does not need you to help her heal. You could come with me to plain song. Lend your voice to mine as I try to persuade the chorus. It might help her cause. I'd like to, but I'm afraid she might run off. Really? Very well. Later then. So, wait. It's not uh, that I don't want to go with you. It's just that I. Is that what you were trying to say? Um. Yes. Then I look forward to more conversation. You're supposed to be resting. Laurel. You should go with her. I'll get better on my own. You trying to get rid of me so you can... this time. 
I'll meet up with you in Plainsong when I'm ready. You sure about this? Yes. Go. Get out of here. Okay. So, wait. I'm, I'm a bit of a romance person. I like romance. So, um, having York not necessarily Aloy be involved in a romance herself, but helping two other characters find romance, which, which is what I really liked. Yeah, because I, I guess one thing that I always think about with Horizon is it almost seems like it's a it's always a response to trends that have developed in open world games. So when Horizon um, Zero Dawn came out, it was that sort of post Witcher 3 period where a lot of games were sort of trying to play around with a lot of what Witcher 3 did. We got all of those Assassin's Creed games that sort of started going in a very RPG direction. Um, and this game feels like it's it's sort of the post Breath of the Wild experience where we have a lot more um, mechanics to play around with. We have the glider as well. But what I really like is what you've honed in on there with the narrative development that's changed here a lot. Like I can really tell that this team focused a lot more on story when I played through this game as well. And yeah, I think you beautifully described how Aloy is no longer... Um, the story is no longer focused on Aloy as a central protagonist so much as her being almost like a tidal wave in a pond and the ripple effects that impact everyone else around her when she sort of storms her way through a location or, or changes events um, dramatically for everyone around her through her actions, which I, I think is a really fascinating way to play around with the character. And, and, and like you said, I feel like a lot of effort and work really went into character development in this game around this time around. Like we have our version of the Mass Effect style Normandy base where um, Aloy and her friends hang out and you can have conversations with them. You have companion quests that pop up as well in this game too. It feels like so much um, effort went into that. Was there was there anything else that that made you go? This is the really special game for me of the year. I think that the, something about the first Horizon Zero Dawn that really um stood out to me was a lot of like a lot of my friends were kind of like one of my friends who was a a bit of a dude bro and he was playing zero dawn for the first time and he said oh why won't this dude leave me alone like he's like he keeps making moves on me i have to keep telling him to to go away and i thought oh that's really interesting like that's 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 a side of a video game character that i've never seen before having to try and like just fend off advances from from dude bros and seeing someone experience that for the first time was very interesting. And um, in this game, we actually see your action hero protagonist, protagonist actually take a break and rest and like have some self care time, even though she really doesn't want to, but there's a character right after the romantic uh, bit is he says, look, you need to rest. You've been through something really hectic in the past hour and a half you need to take a break and just collect yourself and that was really interesting to me because you she's not like a master chief or a call of duty protagonist that doesn't seem to take a break or eat throughout their entire campaign they just seem to just barrel on with unlimited energy and i think i i really liked that about about the game Hey, Mitch, as someone um, like myself who hasn't played either of these games, would you recommend jumping straight into the second one with all of its improvements, or is it worth going back to the first? In terms of quality of life, I think you don't. there aren't really that many quality of life improvements on the first game, only because the first game was so great. And I think, I think you can jump into either of the games. I think if you have a PS5 probably just jump into this one and have a bit of a read of the first Horizon Zero Dawn. And if you really like it, I think 
playing this one isn't going to ruin the first one. Um, they can kind of be interchangeable. But if you really like story and you want to experience that canonically, I think you're not going to lose out on anything by playing the first one. But if you don't really have time and you need to pick one, I think this one is the way to go, the uh, Horizon Forbidden West. It's definitely uh, a standout game, graphics as well. Uh, What are some of your honorable mentions for games of 2022? All right, so my honorable mentions are Overwatch, uh, Splitgate, and I believe Apex Legends Eclipse, even though the only reason why I'm putting that in there is because that I just played a lot of that t- this year. Um, yeah, it's not a new game, but this, this new update, the new character is great. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream. Gianni, I am curious, what is your game of the year for 2022? I think it's fair to say, Daniel, that I'm a bit of a devotee to this game. Um, But I'm, of course, talking about uh, Cult of the Lamb, which is um, an Australian-made game um, by Massive Monster. Uh, It is a simulator, sort of a town simulator slash dungeon crawler. Um, And what I really liked about it is that it really beautifully meshes together those two parts. They don't seem like they would fit together really well but they are really kind of pulling back and forth between them all the time so you know when you're playing this game you'll build your town up and then you realize you'll need to kind of progress and maybe get a few new followers for your cult Um, so then you'll go off into the dungeons and see if you can rescue some people and as you go you're also picking up resources that you can then use to go and build your town up so then you can go back and see you can get some more people and you know it kind of keeps looping back and forth between the two and I always felt like I was making really meaningful progression every time uh, as I was playing it. And, you know, it's one of these games that I lost a lot of time for in the best way. I would be playing it and realize, oh, okay, several hours have passed and I've completely lost track of where I am. Um, But that's really like testament to how well together it's put uh, all these pieces come together um, by this really like masterful team who've created something really special. So when you play the game and you're building... I guess, a cult together, right? Like, do you get attached to individual members or do you just kind of stay focused on the goal, on the mission? (laughs) 100% you get attached to them. I had this really good um, uh, rabbit who had this, like, cool, (laughs) like, cult markings on their head called Thena, which was, Thena's one of, like, the default names that you can get in there. But, man, uh, because there's so many cultish practices you can do, you can decide to continue... Uh, your cult member's life for a very long time. So they get old, they get, you know, stop being able to work on your cult, stop worshipping and all that sort of stuff, and then they eventually die. But you, as a cult leader, can decide, you know what I might do? I might bring them back from the dead. And then they restart their life from scratch. So, yeah, then I ended up living like 200 days when the average life is about 40. So, you know, (laughs) just kept bringing them back from the dead. And there's so many of these cool little characters um, that you come across, but you're also really encouraged to, um, you know, sacrifice a few of them, send them off into the to the depths. So some of them, there was definitely a tier system. Some of them are like, yeah, you're new, see you later. You're <laughs> you're getting sent to the tentacle pit. Um, but yeah, it's lots of that little storytelling, I think, which is really fun um, that you kind of tell these stories, your own stories, as you're playing. I I love that contrast between it's kind of cute, you know, animals, but also 
into the the fiery pit you go. Was there something that like stood out to you while playing this game? Yeah, I really liked the way that they um, planned out the different upgrade paths in the actual thing. So there's quite a big sort of upgrade trees with you get a certain amount of resources, um, you get a certain amount of like faith points basically from you know progressing in your cult, and there was always something cool to unlock. It, you know, there were lots of options, but there was like okay, every single thing that I'm going to get is going to meaningfully improve my village um, and then it's going to give me more things to um, you know improve my dungeon run so for example you could go and get one which allowed you to turn certain uh, of certain members of your cult into uh, into a, like a demon you basically convert them into a demon who help you in the dungeon crawling so it kind of encourages you to have a variety of different followers because certain ones will translate into certain demons so you know one will just be an attacking demon another one will go and find you items another one will bring you health um another one will just like shoot arrows and things like that so you know that was always a a, like a fun thing to do but there's like lots of little mini games as well so you could go and um you know send some of your followers off to go get resources and they go and do their task and then come back and then you've got more resources to build things and there's like you know it it kind of feels like a bit like cookie clicker i don't know if you've ever played that game where there's like always something you can kind of do in cookie clicker and every time you're just like increasing your cookies every and it's kind of like you know you're you're just getting more money to get more money in a way so it is a bit like that but in a really fun and enjoyable way and i think the contrast between the two halves of the game really makes it um sing and speaking of sounds and singing and music like the soundtrack is like a killer it is an amazing um music done by Riverboy. um it is such a banger like seriously put it on uh, youtube and just have a listen to the soundtrack in the background because it's just a lot a lot of fun of course looks visually amazing so the massive monster team who we've had on the podcast quite a few times we actually had them on for their first game the adventure pals a few years ago now and then their other game never give up i've kind of always had this sort of like flash game style animation that they do and it's because they kind of grew up with the new grounds aesthetic of designing games so they have really kind of developed that into a really sort of slick looking um you know cutesy style that is uh, you know really really fantastic to look at Usually with these games and building up your town and and everything like that, um, did you encounter any particular setbacks when doing this in terms of challenges and, you know, how how did that go for you? Well, there's a little bit of like push and pull. So obviously the town, you've got to keep them all happy and you've got to keep them fed and you've got to um, look after what they need. You've got to make sure that they're clean and healthy and all of these sorts of things. So there is that bit. If you don't, if you spend too much time in the dungeon and you don't go back to visit your town after a while, all your people will get sick or they'll get angry and dissent against you and call your cult, you know, this is the blasphemy. It's not the true cult. Come join this other cult instead. So there, there is that sort of push and pull, which I think is really cool. But it, it, there is never a, like a real fail state. Like you can't get to a point where you're going to completely run out of everything. Um, you know, you're never going to run to a point where all your, your cult members have disappeared. You're always got some way to redeem it. So it is like, you know, you're like, oh, oh, no. A bit like in The Sims in a way. You know, sometimes you run back to a house and you realize that, oh, all my Sims are starving and they've, you know, you know, weed all over the floor and all of that sort of stuff. You know, you can fix it up and get back to that that moment. So, yeah, that's what I really liked about it. I think it is one of these, um, uh, you know, really excellent sort of push and pull in the design. You mentioned quite a few times that it does have that dungeon crawling element. Is this a game that 
people can jump into if they haven't had much experience with the dungeon crawling? Yes, I think so. It, I mean, it is going to be a bit more of a complexity than some of the other games you might have played, but I would say it is much simpler than, say, something like a Hades, for example, um, and it's much simpler than something like uh, Binding of Isaac, which it takes um, you know a lot of comparisons to just because of the aesthetic style of it. Um, so I find it to be pretty it's not too tricky. I can understand some people who may not have a huge amount of familiarity with it, but it is a good sort of step in block, I think, um, for you if you haven't had a huge amount of experience with this particular type of game. And that was Cult of the Lamb, Gianni's pick for Game of the Year 2022. Gianni, do you have any honourable mentions for 2022 Game of the Year? Yes, I've got a couple of honourable mentions. Um, One that I reckon, again, I sat with for a really long time, and that is Citizen Sleeper. Uh, It is a science fiction sort of narrative game, um, sort of a role-playing game. Um, that we uh, you, you you basically have to try and survive in this really sort of grim world and find hope, and that I found to be really interesting in the way that it uses sort of like tabletop RPG mechanics. Um, so it actually plays a lot like um, some of the RPGs you might know, like Blades in the Dark. It actually uses a lot of those similar systems. Um, I also really loved Horizon Forbidden West um, because I am a big fan of these big open worlds with like massive bosses and lots of fun things you can do if you kind of walk in any direction. I think that is a you know a really f- a really meaningful improvement to the. Uh, everything that they set up in Horizon Zero Dawn, the character writing is really good. The dialogue writing is really good, um, and so the side quests, as um, you know, as you would sort of come across in those games, uh, are really phenomenal as well. They really feel worldly. They feel like they make a big difference. My final recommendation um, would be only because this one is did come out a little while ago, and it actually came out in 2020, but it had a, a Switch release this year, which is how I played it, uh, and that is Thirteen Sentinels. Uh, Aegis Rim, um, and it's like a it's a visual novel slash sort of turn based strategy game. Um, it's set in sort of a Japanese high school sort of Japanese, and it's sort of like a time travel aspect to it. I don't want to tell you too much about it because it is like best to actually play it, but it's one of the cleverest branching narrative games that I have ever played, and I think about it constantly. So you know, those are some picks for you if you want to have some things that are going to sit in your mind uh, for a very long time. Articles to read, podcasts to listen to, and videos to watch on sifter.com.au. Kyle, you've picked a live service multiplayer shooter as your game of the year. Uh, What have you been dropping into and playing a lot of? Yeah, I have. And it was as much of a surprise to me as it might be to, to others. But my game of the year this year is Warzone 2. Now, it probably goes without saying, it's a, a battle royale. Solos, duos, trios, quads, all of the stuff we've, uh, we've come to, to know and love, if that's something that you're into. Uh, but this, despite looking like much of the same on the surface, this sequel is leagues ahead of its predecessor. And it really only took a couple of rounds to, to realize just how much they had improved on it. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's the same fun, fast-paced shooter action that you expect from a Call of Duty battle royale, 
but just with these these improvements that uh, surprisingly felt like the devs actually listened to the community and made thoughtful, practical changes to the game. It, it, just basic things like no more of the slide cancelling, which was a glitch that just infuriated nearly everybody. Um, no more pa- uh, shooting while you're parachuting, also an extremely annoying feature of the first one. And they've just slowed everything down a little bit, um, which is surprising, again, for for a Call of Duty uh, spinoff. But they've it seems they've gone the way a little bit backwards and channeled a little bit of PUBG energy, which was, I think, the first Battle Royale I played and one that really sparked my love for it because of the intensity that it uh, that it created. And they've gone for a little bit more of that. They've spread out the map a lot more, so there's a bit more open space, which really creates those tense moments. Um, and although the movement and the shooting feels as more streamlined than ever, it also feels a, a little t- stripped back, a little bit toned down. It's not so frantic like it can often be. Um, another thing they've added is proximity chat, which if anybody oh. who's played Call of Duty knows <laughs> is one of the best parts of playing those games. Um, it, it Listening to someone yell in frustration when you're about to finish them is great. And in squads, there's just nothing more satisfying than taking down a trash-talking squad who's just spent five minutes hurtling abuse at you from the other side of a block of buildings as you're kind of slowly maneuvering around to kill them. They're throwing insults. Um, you're either staying quiet to be tactical or you can't help yourself and you throw insults back. And, uh, and yeah, just, just putting them down and having them call you trash while they have to go to the gulag is, is uh, really, really fun. Um, it's also free to play, which isn't isn't that um, outrageous these days. And while I don't agree with a lot of the new money making schemes that studios have rolled out over the last decade, I do like how accessible it makes games like this. And as someone who doesn't really have any interest in cosmetics, um, it makes it extremely affordable. Uh, yeah, it's it's really really fun and creates these um, these tense moments. To, to, to play with friends. And I, I think that's why I've picked this. Uh, it's not the, the most original or um, groundbreaking game of the year, that's for sure, but it has created some of the most exciting and fun moments of just straightforward uh, gaming fun with my friends. Mm. I want to take us back a few steps to something you just said before. Um, and, you know, I'm going to put on my my honesty hat right now and mention that, like, I spend a lot of my time playing JRPGs, um, very, like, uh, kind of military shooters is not my domain. But you mentioned something interesting, and I know that this is a mechanic that's been part of Warzone for a while, but you mentioned going to the Gulag, explain to me that mechanic in Warzone 2, how it creates a real sense of fun and tension in these matches. Yeah, so the Gulag in Warzone 2 is now two-on-two instead of one-on-one. So if you're with squads and your squad gets wiped out, you'll often get paired up with your squad mate, which is great. Um, But other times you're just paired up with another stranger. Uh, And if you don't kill kill the other team quick enough, they send in what they call the jailer, which is essentially a juggernaut. He's got a massive minigun and takes a lot of hits to kill. Um, uh, But because of proximity chat, 
there is now a new option where if you get to it quick enough and the other team has proximity chat and you can come to a agreement, which is a very tense situation, we have got guns ga- uh, guns aiming at each other, trying to come to some kind of a truce, and you can decide to team up and take down the jailer. And if if all of you kill the jailer, then everybody gets sent back into the game, which is just it's just really fun. That sounds chaotic. <laughs> that sounds really wild. It absolutely is. Uh, there's, there's also a, a game mode um, uh, that is is super fun. Um, it I think it's been it may have been removed briefly. They they have these uh, um, these certain modes that that come and go depending on the season. But it was called Unhinged, and it was three three man squads but with the ability to team up with randoms if you want to. Um, so, you know, you drop as a squad and then you, if you're fighting somebody and things aren't going your way, you say, hey, do you want to team up? And it's a really quick, seamless option to just become a six-man squad and then you're off again. Um, the, the the adding proximity chat just makes so much sense uh, and it's it's been a really great addition. Yeah, that proximity chat thing is one of the greatest things I think I've ever seen added to a video game because I think I think what they did there is make it TikTokable, like like that game. Like they've just designed a mechanic that makes the game infinitely more interesting, but also like self-marketable, and which I think is very clever. I don't know if they intended it that way. I'm sure they did. They don't really do things without a purpose. But um, I wish that kind of thing was in the battle rails that I played, like Apex Legends. It's um. You know, the reason I play these games is for those moments of of tense, heart pounding, um, you know, uncertainty. And uh, when you when you roll up into a building and you're chatting away with your squad, talking nonsense, and then all of a sudden you hear a voice that isn't one of your friends, and everybody on the chat just goes, "Shut up! Shut up! Shut up!" And you pause for a moment as you try to hear somebody else talking. All of a sudden, you can't communicate with each other anymore, which makes for just again more fantastic intense gameplay it, it was it was a great addition um and a, as you mentioned um not long ago adam that it seems like it's a, a function of something like tarkov uh, i think that's why warzone 2 has done so well is unlike a lot of these franchises that just have gone oh god we need to pump out a battle royale version because it's trendy now They've had time to think about this one. Warzone 1 was a success and it just plugged away doing its thing. And in the background, I think they've taken all of the good bits of all of the other Battle Royales and have chucked it into Warzone 2 and it works really well. Oh, look, you've made me hover over the install button while you were talking, which is (laughs) is quite wild for a game in a genre that I normally really don't um, enjoy a lot. So it sounds like it's it's an incredible blast. and and just a real rush of fun to play. Tell us about some of your honourable mentions that didn't quite make the list. Uh, so Stray, which although um, you know might not be the most interesting game in the world, it's a cat. Uh, so come on, what what more do you want? Uh, I loved ha- I love playing through that um, with my partner. Just really good fun. God of War Ragnarok was always going to be a fantastic time and definitely delivered. And of course, Elden Ring. You're listening to Mainstream by Sifter. Visit us on sifter.com.au.
Daniel, can you tell me you've been looking gruffly into the end of the world? What game have you chosen for your game of the year? So, Gianni, my game of the year, no surprise, is God of War Ragnarok. And, uh, oh boy, I don't know, I don't know where to begin with this one. I guess we'll, we'll begin where the last one ended, which is Fimblewinter. And ever since that tease happened in, uh, God of War 2018, and they set so much stuff up, and then they just kind of like ended. And then we had to wait four long years until this one came out. And like since then, you know, all the theories and everything online on YouTube and talking to my friends and everything, it's hard not to have such high expectations for the sequel, especially with, how drastic God of War 2018 was in step of in in terms of direction. Sorry for um the series as a whole. Now I haven't played the other games, um, but like many, I was introduced to this world, this Norse world with Kratos and everything like that, and I still found it so interesting how they managed to combine both of the universes together. And in God of War Ragnarok, it feels like such a natural evolution of 2018. And I'll keep mentioning that just because it is, you know, a direct, direct sequel. Um, you kind of have to mention what happened beforehand. But everything in this game in terms of combat and story and pacing just felt much better and just refined. Have you got a good example of some of the changes that were made that just really polished uh, the, you know, the idea that they were experimenting with with the first game? I think combat combat in in a couple of ways it's just because of um in the second game you know like you get the blades of chaos at like around halfway in in the um in the story and i always felt not that it was tacked on but there was just something missing in terms of like how you would use it in in different combat scenarios but now it's built in from the very beginning so like level traversal and different things that you can do with the blades as you have it from you know right at at the get-go really opens up the environments and the combat scenarios with just more things that you can do with it and i think now that they've kind of established like what it is in terms of like story and uh the writing especially especially as you're traveling a lot to different areas they had that in the first game but in this one it just feels like perfected down to hearing companions talk about um different things that are going on in their lives or the uh the pantheons and then kratos always referring to his life in greece and like you know even though i haven't played the other games it's so cool for me hearing that because they're acknowledging everything that came beforehand and it just feels like oh man now i, I want to go back and play those games just because of you know everybody else would would understand the uh, the references and so it's it's little things like that really but i think the main thing that ragnarok does better than the first one has to be the actual pacing of of the game itself um in terms of exploration side content everything like that even the side content feels so integral but I can't even describe it. It's just, yeah, it's, I'm blown away by this game. Is it the sort of game that, you know, really rests on the history of other games in this genre? Like, do you feel the, the I guess, the, the continuity of uh, adventure games when you're playing this? Or does it feel like it's really pushing in a direction that you, you know, is really, really new? I would say it's like in terms of innovation and in, in the way that you phrased it, it's nothing like crazy. It's nothing mind blowing. But what it feels like is that Sony and all their first party exclusive lately, they've all kind of got that similar DNA, that similar feeling, you know, from The Last of Us to God of War to other games in in the um in that category. And I, and so I think it, it feels like you know the studios are all communicating to one another and probably helping each other out in terms of. I'm pretty sure um, in the first game in God of War 2018. 
Corey Barlog has mentioned that they did speak to Naughty Dog for companion AI in terms of Atreus as, you know, um, Joel and Ellie in The Last of Us. So I feel like because of that, like, I know when I play these games from Sony that I can expect great writing, great character development, and there's always attention to detail that I don't often find in other games, meaning that if I do something in the world and it's like a video gamey kind of thing, let me just give you an example. If I use like a runic attack or something like that, a character will actually comment on that rather than in other games, it's just an attack that you use, right? Like, but people are like, whoa, that's really cool. Like, you know, they specifically mention the thing that you're doing. And there's so many tiny little details like that where even if I'm doing a puzzle in the wrong order, characters will mention that and kind of like, I'm not talking about the hints, but it's just more so you smash something and they comment on it and then something funny happens and it's like, oh, wow, they actually wrote dialogue for the different options in terms of what I, the player, am inputting into the game. And I think that's a really cool touch. What's a moment that really stood out to you as something that was particularly uh, impressive, really poignant uh, anything like that that uh, you, you would share? There are tons of subtleties in Kratos's character that really shine in this game, specifically the acting from Christopher Judge and the emotion that he brings to Kratos. I, I definitely picked up on that, like way more. Um, and I, I got emotional too at some some of the points and seeing how Kratos has changed as a character. Um, but to completely 180 on that, I would say the biggest moment for me has to be finally meeting Thor. <laughs> Just because like in the last game, we keep hearing constantly about Thor and like, just what a brute he is and, and a killing machine and he's just completely different from you know in uh in pop culture how we would expect him to be can i come in i have me you would not find me good company no i'm sure we'll find lots to talk about and so it's really interesting that seeing that subversion of this character that we've been hearing so much in the first game, and then also finding nuance to him, just like Kratos as well. And I think they definitely draw a parallel between the two of b- both being uncontrollable destroyers that now have to kind of change a little bit and to be better for their children. I just thought that was a really, really, really clever way they, they wrote the character. And I was really um, just, yeah, r- really, really awesome seeing that come to fruition. Are you hoping there will be a, a sequel or I guess a, a trilogy for, for this series, especially with all the game awards they picked up this year? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Because the thing is, like, in in the game, they so they've established that, you know, Greece exists and then now um, Scandinavia and like all the Norse gods exist. They've also teased little bits about Aztec gods and Mayan gods and Japanese gods. And there's like, there's so much there. And I would really love to see their take on different pantheons around the world and Kratos, you know, and Atreus going on adventures and just kind of seeing what other people are up to, like what are the gods in Egypt doing at this point, you know, like that, that's just, yeah, there's, there's a lot there and it makes me really excited thinking about the future of this series. Look out all those other pantheons because you could be in for a lot of trouble if Kratos <laughs> and Atreus decide to turn up in your backyard. That's God of War Ragnarok by Sony Santa Monica Studio. Daniel's pick for Game of the Year. Daniel, what are some of the honourable mentions for other games that you'd like to include? So, I only have one. I didn't play that many new games this year, but it is, of course, Elden Ring. Elden Ring was just insane, incredible. Um, Yeah, I have a lot to say about that as well, but I won't because I know that there are some other people that maybe want to talk about that, but I will leave it there.
gaming news from Sifter each week on Walkthrough. Which brings us to Adam. Tell us about your favourite game of 2022. Yeah, I feel like I'm the cliche this year. Um, my game of the year is Elden Ring. It uh, came out towards that February-March period at the beginning of the year and captured my brain and all my game time for about four or five months. I uh, ashamedly got my PlayStation rap email and I was like, oh, you spent 180 hours in, in Elden Ring. And then I, I also got um, my Steam version of the game because I, I needed to buy it twice for some reason and there's 150 hours of that as well and I guess like I'll, I'll step back a little bit before other than talking about how much time I've I've wasted in this game um, it is the latest game from from software Japanese development studio that have become um, renowned for their gritty dark fantasy uh, epic role-playing games that tend to be quite difficult and challenging to play um, with very tense combat that can be a real um, reward when you start mastering it. So obviously well-known for Dark Souls, um, their game Bloodborne, uh, and also Sekiro of, of, of recent years as well. And and this was their first foray into taking that formula of sort of tense, um, impactful combat and, and kind of brittle, broken fantasy worlds and throwing it in an open-world structure and environment and it feels like one of those watershed moments in gaming, like a true revelation of of what open world games can be and 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 sort of what the scope of a game can be, the size and dramatic um, just depth of this game, the stuff that you can find, the things that you can do, the way that it never seems to end, um, and the creativity and player expression within it is is unbelievable and unlike anything else I've played. So I feel like for that alone... That's sort of why it ended up at the top of my list. It's There's been so many remarkable games this year, but what that game did, I think I haven't had an experience with a game like Elden Ring since Breath of the Wild um, with The Legend of Zelda back like five years ago. And it's it's so exciting to play a game that just completely submerses you into its world and, and really rewards you for all the time that you spend in it as well. Um, I also loved this game. Um, I have put well over 100 hours in and was just absolutely floored by every aspect of it. I think maybe the difference between you and me, though, is I have never played a FromSoft game before, or at least not to any significant extent. I think I tried Dark Souls 1 when it came to the Switch. I thought it would be a good time to, to jump in there. Um, and it just it didn't grab me straight away. Um but since playing Elden Ring, I've gone back and uh, something has clicked. I, I get it now. And, you know, there's been a long time talks about uh, a having an, an easy mode or the ability to change difficulties in these FromSoft games. And I think with Elden Ring, they found the perfect way to do that without actually doing that. Um, and that's what made it so accessible and so fun. I explored so much of this world before even really venturing off and, and doing much of the main story because I thought the more I explore, the the, the beefier my character will get um, and the more I'll be able to just to just chew through. But then you end up inevitably finding a, an, a, an area that you weren't meant to go to super early but can get to anyway and you get absolutely owned and you go, oops, okay, I've learnt my lesson back to the main story for a little bit. It was just so accessible, 
so fun. It looks incredible. It sounds absolutely phenomenal. I mean that that soundtrack, even just the the uh, the booming song when you boot the game up is just it just grabs you so much. I I fell for this game really really hard. That that idea of difficulty is really interesting. It's like I'm still a big believer in like give us the easy mode in these games so that it's even more accessible. But I love that like they really decided to use world exploration and build diversity in tandem as a way to kind of allow players to find their own difficulty. You have the ability to summon in characters to support you or other players to support you. Other players has always been a part of these games that help you with difficult fights. But having NPC characters that you can bring into battles now to really kind of even up some boss fights is fantastic. Um, the fact that some fighting styles and builds are easier than others is great too so if you want to go all in on a wizard type character that kites a lot and doesn't have to engage that much with the melee combat of this game it will be a bit easier for you and you've got that option and who cares if it's easier um it's it's all about your own player expression and finding the fun for you it's it's a really remarkable game i i don't know what else i can say about it other than i think it's like probably um one of the best things I've ever played, period. I dreamt for so long. My flesh was dull gold and my blood rotted. Corpse after corpse left in my wake. As I awaited his return, heed my words. I am Melania, Blade of Mikola. And I have never known defeat. Shall I jump into honorable mentions really quickly? Go for it. Um, I've only got two on my honorable mentions this year, and I think that they're two um, sides of, of a coin in terms of what makes games really fun. Uh, the first side is narrative. And for me, um, you know, sort of creative narrative games have been amazing this year. There's been so many, um, but one that really stood out for me was Immortality, the latest Sam Barlow game, uh, FMV game. Um, it is essentially three different art house cinema movies uh, that you stitch together while solving a mystery of what happened to the central actor within it. It is also a horror game. It is a non-linear narrative. It has so much happening between it. And the fact that each of these three films is so stylized and incredibly impeccable in how it's been put together. The cinematography is outstanding. The performances are, are amazing. It's truly one of the most intriguing experiments in narrative that I've ever experienced. Um, it's a treat for cinephiles as well as video game players. Just anyone who's interested in narrative should play Immortality. And then the other game is the other opposite end of the spectrum. It's all about gameplay and all about the fun of playing games. And that's Vampire Survivors because that game is just so addictive. I cannot stop. It is like a, a horde-based auto-battler type thing. It created its own genre, which I always get excited when a game comes along and it is so impactful that like Battle Royale, there are now a million vampire survivor clones just floating around on the internet as people try to create other games that have been inspired by this thing. It is so much fun. It feels like a slot machine, but it works. Um, and now it's on phone. So God save us all.
So this has been Mainstream Sifters Review Podcast, our 2022 Game of the Year special. To it, We've also got a write-up of our Games of the Year on the Sifter website. There's a link to that in the show notes, or you can head to sifter.com.au and look for our Game of the Year. And we know you love listening to Sifter, so why not show your support by backing us on Ko-Fi? Your help lets us keep making the show, so head to sifter.com.au forward slash support. That address again is sifter.com.au forward slash support. Sifter is produced by Kyle Pauletto, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, and Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's three podcasts and recommend us to your friends if you like the show. Until next time, have fun. Hi, Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is finally here, continuing the ambitious reimagining of a beloved classic. It's very, very funny. I guess like that's that's part of the silliness, you know. Like you have this these really big world-ending stakes. You know, Sephiroth is a really terrifying villain. You know, the world's ending, and I think to have a game that is still fun and pleasant to play, I think maybe the tone is kind of. It's important to strike both tones because you need that levity so that it's not constantly depressing, you know? And I think so having the characters have that humor and like having the mini games and having it be a little bit lighter hearted, I think does give you that hope. Does it uphold the legacy of the famous original or burn Midgar to ashes to forge its own path? Find out on Drop Rate, available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>